Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. But first, look, this story, you've heard about it talked um, on all of the programmes here today. The new report that's out into the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services that finds about 140 children were lost without any follow-up appointments planned. Some of those on um, antipsychotic medication. The investigation also points to fairly serious concerns in finding enough adequately trained staff in the service as well to deal with young children. So we've heard lots today in terms of the analysis of this political reaction, but I just want to chat to you. I mean, people who have actually got first-hand experience of the CAM service. If it's something over the years, maybe you've previously experienced it uh, with your own children, good or bad, whatever your experience. I just want to talk to people today, hear your thoughts. 1800 453 106, that's the number if you want to share your story with us. Anne is on the line because Anne, your son was referred to CAMs. Tell me about your experience. Andrea, um, first of all, sorry for being a little emotional. This report has brought back up a lot of memories in our house. Um, It was approximately two years ago. Our son um, was in a bad place, was self-harming. He would start off with probably a text on the bus to school to me um, saying he was having bad thoughts. He couldn't control them. And he would use whatever he could in school to harm, be it a scissors, a compass, and this became a regular pattern. Um, there was a really bad episode one week where I got a text one morning saying, I can't stop it, I'm really going to do something bad today. I contacted his school. I have to say the support in his school was fantastic. Mm. Um, they, I rang his yearhead, who I explained he was on the bus, he was about to get off the bus into school and I was really worried. The school counsellor became involved immediately and he was taken away from his classroom and counsellors spoke with him and they have a great peer support system in his school. His counsellor spoke with me and said he needed to see his GP urgently. He was in a very bad place. We got an urgent appointment with with our GP, who was very reluctant to go the med, medication route. And I'm glad to say now, I'm glad he was reluctant. Okay. So then came CAMS. He referred us to CAMS. Now, our referral came very, very quickly because he was seen as an urgent case. Mm. Um, there was imminent danger with him. And this is where everything changed. We met the psychologist and a nurse and we spoke with them together, but then we were split. And my biggest regret to this day is I left my vulnerable boy on his own. I should have never let that happen. I spoke with the nurse in CAMS who was more or less my interpretation of what was being said we needed to change as parents. We needed to become tough and tell him that this behaviour wasn't acceptable. This was our vulnerable child. Um, the doctor that spoke with our son um, later that night at home, he said, 
I'm worse than ever because now somebody thinks my behaviour is silly and stupid. We questioned him and asked him how did he think that and he said, well, the doctor told me that today. So this vulnerable boy is now being told a behaviour he can't control is silly. He was given an app to download on his phone and he looked through it and he said, I asked him, how did he feel about the app and would mm. he use it? And his line was, he said, well, one of the things is talk to your friends when you when the bad thoughts are there. He said, I don't want to talk to anybody. We were told that afternoon to remove knives, scissors, any sharp, ordinary kitchen items from our home for his safety. But there was no follow-up for him. So after that appointment, Anne, there was there was nothing after that? No, we were told there was no follow-up would be coming from camps. That Why? the app should help him. The app? The app should help him. That was, that was it. I had experienced and had volunteered with a national mental health organisation and I knew so I it was very personal to me so I wasn't in a place to deal with with him myself we were lucky to make contact with Jigsaw and he went the route of bio and energy and martial arts his GP checked in on us but Cam's never we walked out of there in a very lonely dark place that day so your your issue wasn't getting the appointment, as you say, and the intervention was there, and it was there early, but it was one appointment, and there was and that there was, was no follow up. That was it. Andrew, can I just make one comment? I'm glad this report has come about. However, this report cannot become a talk shop, and it can't be experts saying. We will, it will be actioned, yeah. we will do this. It needs to be, this is being, do, being done and this is being done now. Is that, that's your fear? And that that's my just, fear, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there's calls for even the, the minister in the area, um, the Minister for Mental Health, Mary Butler, to make a statement on this. Look, I, there'll be plenty of discussion and analysis mm. about this for the next few days, but... Like it's it's in hearing your experience, Anne, that I think people will will you know learn from this that they'll have an understanding about what the system is like. I'm I'm sure there's many many others you know that your story will resonate with them today. I've no doubt, and I can see even from the text coming in. How are things now, Anne? I mean, you you, you mentioned he your son um, worked through Jigsaw and 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 had he still did. follow he up had, with his GP and yeah yeah he had bioenergy therapy and. Martial arts has become his place. Okay. He's, he's a healthy, um, mentally stable 16-year-old with fantastic coping skills now. Yeah. But it was done by his family and the assistance of friends. It wasn't Cam's. We were in a very lonely, dark place that evening. I'm sure even listening to this today, Anna's... It's tough. It's tough for you and the family, you know, listening to all the discussion and the review and the findings and the whole lot coming out. It is. Yeah. But maybe it's 
you know, we're in a good place. What about the families who didn't get to those places? What about the families who didn't have the background I had as a volunteer with a mm. mental health organisation? I know you knew you had at least some knowledge of the area and, and the exactly. sector and that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What about all those families that didn't have that? But my one big regret is I left my boy, my vulnerable boy, be taken on his own that day. And will you thank you for sharing your story with us today? Um, because okay. I I know it's 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 not easy, and it's you know recalling the experience over the past two years, and I've I've no doubt, or I know from chatting to you there, it, it's very tough to do that. Will you stay on the line, Anne, if you don't mind? Because I just want to bring in another caller or two as well that have gotten touch in in listening to you here this afternoon. Um, Niall is on the line as well. Uh, Niall, what's your experience of camps? Hey, down, Andrea. Um, to, to be honest, it was underwhelming. Um. My son had brain surgery um, about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, and was attending Temple Street um, because after he he had uh, depression and anxiety and we discovered that he was autistic as well. Um, So he was attending psychology and psychiatry in Temple Street. um, um, Coming up to his 16th birthday, they said they're going to have to refer him on. So they referred to CAMS here in Navan where we live. And they said they'll hold on to him until the referral is answered. So that was, they held on for as long as they could up to his 17th birthday. And then they said they had to, sign, you know, discharge him from Temple Street. Um, it wasn't until uh, January 21, 22, sorry, that we uh, got the, the referral a, almost, no, more than a year after the referral was put in. We got in contact with um, Cairns here in Navan. And they said he was on the list, but they don't know when they're going to get to him. So he was at severe anxiety and depression. And we said, look, we're at crisis. We need something. Mm. Um, so they said, OK, they'll, they'll raise it with their team the following week. Um, and it wasn't until um, around September 22 that he, 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 got, uh, he got his appointment. Um he saw the doctor once and then saw a nurse, uh, an autism nurse, for about seven or eight sessions. Um, after that, his 18th birthday came up in November and he was discharged from camps. Um, we were dealing with a, a, another specialist for my other son okay. and they noticed that he wasn't uh, referred on to um uh, adult mental health services from CAMS. Um, now this was a specialist from a different. Um, and was this due to service. the delays? Is is that Niall just just due to the number the number of people? Is that why there's there's a delay? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I rang the, the or got onto CAMS and said, you know, we need them referred to adult mental mental health services, and they said, well, your GP can do that. And we said, but you're the last psychiatrist psychology mm. that he's seen so would it not be better coming from you so she reluctantly kind of says oh well okay I'll do it for you you know but your GP could have done it um, so we're, we're waiting for that referral to come through okay, now so, as well. so your, your issue Niall really is around it's actually it's it's been getting access to staff and, and, and to the services that's right yeah Yeah. so you're, um, you've a, it was a different experience to Anne really it's, it's, it's actually been able to avail of the services 
It is, yeah. yeah like yeah. I, I told you before, I run a, a youth club here in Navan for children with autism, and mental health issues go nearly kind of hand in hand with with autism. You know, with anxiety and things like that. And a lot of the parents that we have dealt with um, in the youth club have put in have their children have been referred to CAMS and have gotten nothing from them. You know, um, or have been refused because they're they're on the autism spectrum. You know, so. Um, yeah, it's it's getting getting okay, the access. So when you, in your in your, yeah, in, in in your case, it's actually been able to to access uh, the services. Chloe, you're on the line as well. Like, what what's how is what's your experience? My experience is that we tried to access services with my son um, from say junior infants, um, and it took two years for us to access the services and be accepted onto any of the waiting lists because. We kept getting passed from pillar to post because the CAMS team suspected that my child was autistic and then the, the disability team basically said, well, even if he is autistic, he's high-functioning, so he wouldn't be a priority because he only has high-functioning autism. He doesn't have a physical disability as well. So we had to wait and we had to involve TDs and everything just to be seen. And then what happened was we were finally accepted onto the list and then as your previous person had said, because he had autism or they suspected autism, he saw one doctor and was pretty much discharged because they were like, we don't deal with autism in camps. Um, we had to keep fighting then because we still had issues with the behaviours. My, my child has a lot of challenging behaviours. And he was actually facing being expelled from school in junior infants. So he had a lot of issues that we needed help with. Um, when we did finally get back onto it, um, we saw another consultant in CAMS and he basically said to us, well, looking at the files and seeing them in front of me here, it's obvious to me that your child has autism and ADHD and I don't know why the other consultant didn't say that and he should be given this medication. And he was immediately put on to medications, um, which we've now discovered he should have never been on. Um, he was put on antipsychotics at seven years of age and was on them for two years straight without any follow-up, without any physical appointments, without anything to kind of make sure that he was doing okay. Um, And what we didn't know that until January 2021, when a new consultant came in and advised us of the issues. Um, So, like, my child has lost two years of his life because he was wrongly medicated for two years with no follow-up. And, and and just one of the things I, I noted today, and it's been well talked about as well in other programmes, um, one of the findings from this interim report is that children and young adults who should have had follow-up appointments with CAMS for things like the review of prescriptions or monitoring of medication didn't have those appointments for up to two years. So that's yeah. actually, that is actually your experience, Chloe. It, it, it is. The only reason, so we hadn't seen someone for over a year and naively we thought that that was because of the pandemic and that our son was doing mm. okay. He wasn't in school, so we weren't having such crisis issues. We weren't necessarily chasing appointments because we thought everything was going okay. Yeah. Then he started getting more and more aggressive. Um, and again, naively, I thought it was because he needed more medication because he'd obviously grown in that time period. And I thought he needed his medication reviewed. So I contacted CAMS and what I actually found out was that he had been discharged in 2018, unbeknown to us. He'd still been receiving medication every 
So he was discharged from the CAM yeah. service and still yeah. um, still taking the, the prescribed medication received, because there had been no review of that for two years. Yeah. Still receiving the medication and his file had been archived when I did finally get an appointment. So I contacted them in January 2021. I got an appointment in March 2021, found out all of the issues surrounding my child, but they couldn't find his file because his file had been... Um, Put in a put in the discharged folder and archived, so they actually couldn't even confirm that it was myself and my son who was there without having another member of staff come in and confirm who we were from a time we had been in before. How did you feel, Chloe, when you heard you'd been discharged and your son is still, you know, <laughs> taking taking the medication as was prescribed? I came out of that appointment. I because I expected it just to be a normal appointment. It's normally only about five minutes. Um, I was very, very distressed, very, very angry. Um, and then since then, obviously, I've read up, have more knowledge on it and realised that you should never have been on this medication in the first place. Um, even if you are prescribed it, it's supposed to be for six weeks and then you get a break. He was on it for two years continuously. Uh, just so many issues. And all the medication has been reviewed and he's been taken off most of the medication. Mm-hmm. But he's a completely different child now, so he's lost two years of his life because, you know, he's essentially sedated for two years. And now since he's come off the the medication that he'd been prescribed, like you see a serious difference in him? I see it. It's like night and day. Like before, he wouldn't want to participate with his friends. He wouldn't want to go out to activities or anything. And when we asked the doctor about this, we were basically told that because they were treating the ADHD, that um, the autism symptoms would then be more prevalent and they have social communication skills. So he's masking and behaving in school all day. So that's why he's tired in the afternoon. So there was reasonable explanations given us, given to us. Like I would consider myself a well-educated person who doesn't just mm. follow everything without checking into it. And I felt like I'd asked all the questions that needed to be asked. And I questioned medication. I don't have knowledge of medication. Of I'm course, not a medical I know, practitioner. Sure, naturally, yeah. So if I'm told this Take is the this. best course of action mm. and a reasonable explanation to any of the questions I had, but now I'm like so distraught with the fact that my child lost two years because I fought to get him into a service that harmed him. And I fought to do that. You know, I really fought hard to get him in there and they harmed him. Well, just with the, yeah, with the fact, as you said, there was no follow-up appointment for the review of the, the prescription. Do you feel, Chloe, or Chloe just in, in, in talking to you today and, and Niall and Anne there as well, do you feel lost in the system? I feel like the system just doesn't work. It, it, you know, there shouldn't be people lost. And looking at the report today, and they're saying 140 children lost in one area alone, but staff start, staff stopped reporting it because nothing was happening with the reports. So how can they give a figure of 140? Like That actually angered me so much when I read that today that it's quite dismissive that I get they might have been hitting their head off a brick wall but for every issue that they would have brought up they could have potentially helped a child that was behind that issue and they just stopped because they weren't being listened to by management. I know this interim review is what we're talking about today and there'll be further details on that on it but it's it's difficult, um, Chloe, to you know even to, I, I don't even really know what to say to you today, other than I I I wanted to hear from people to 
get the, you know, it's one thing to sit and read through a report and you can read loads of findings and stories and recommendations, but it's only in talking to you mm-hmm. and Niall and Anne that you actually hear firsthand the experience that and this has had on you and your families. And I think that's part of the problem is that the whole country can be shocked and the whole country can be upset about these, but they're, it's not their children that are behind these figures. Mm. And it's like the HSE can just basically go, well, this is the report, these are the okay. figures, but they don't know the faces behind them and they don't know the people behind them. And they've destroyed, it's destroyed lives. I have a text in here from a listener who says, I'm a social worker with over 20 years experience. I refer children to CAMS regularly due to protocol. Out of 20 years experience, I cannot think of more than three children that I can honestly say benefited from CAMS. It's no exaggeration. When I have to refer now, I sigh knowing that they're not going to get the support they need. They're typically just screened out after one or two visits. Heartbreaking and so frustrating as a professional working in this area to deal with this on a weekly basis. And that's just from somebody who says they're working uh, working in the area. Chloe, um, thank you for joining us today, for sharing your experience. Niall as well, who was with you, Anne also there too. Thank you for your time in the programme. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. We're talking about this report into child and adolescent mental health services, and it paints a fairly worrying picture of the services in this country. They highlight things like staffing, record keeping, 140 children in one CAMS area alone been effectively lost no, uh, with no follow-up on their treatment. Um, also describes a postcode lottery with treatment better in some parts of the country than others and lots of politicians out today all saying totally unacceptable. And we heard from Niall and Anne and Chloe there in the show in the past few moments and their stories echo the findings that I've just mentioned in this report. Elva's got in touch with us too. Elva, you've also used the CAM system. Yes, I have indeed. Yeah. So What's your story? Two of, my, yeah, two of my three children have been referred to the local service in Cork um, and both would have experienced needing to send multiple referrals before they were accepted. Um you know, meaning we go back to the GP again or they are both autistic. So their CDNT would re-refer them. Um, And, you know, for my older boy, I just gave up. I pursued a private route and we stuck with that for him. My younger boy was six when we referred him. Um, He waited 18 months on their wait list. During that time, he continued to have, you know, a very difficult day-to-day life. Um, school was very hard for him, social relationships, attending any of the activities that we'd offer just wasn't possible. And what he needed was an ADHD assessment. So we had to take him privately. We live in Cork. We brought him to Dublin. We couldn't find anybody privately either in Munster. Um, so luckily for us, we were seen at a private clinic in Dublin. We had an excellent experience. That doctor, you know, listened to me and believed me, um, which was a nice change from other experiences I've had. Um, he went through a range of treatment options with us. And luckily for us, we were able to choose a medication that worked and, you know, has really changed okay. the quality of life for Celine. So, so However, when you was Sorry, no, go on ahead there. So his appointment with CAMS came up then after 18 months and I brought him to that appointment. Um, 
And I guess they were a bit flummoxed. They didn't seem to have a procedure to deal with a child who has been assessed privately while waiting on a public waiting list. That in itself is problematic. 18 months is a very long time in the child's life, you know, when he's six, to, he's eight now. Um, you know, I don't think I could have done nothing for that period of time. But because he was diagnosed privately and because he was on a medication that was working, they wouldn't accept either of those things. They didn't find any fault with the report that was given or the yeah. diagnostic. But they just clinician. have their own system, I suppose, in, in, in the way that they do it, is it? Well, it's unclear to me. I've asked for a procedure because I have friends in other parts of the country who have gone a similar route to me, got private assessments and they have been accepted by their local CAM. So, you know, that is obvious to me from the report. I read it all this morning that that is par for the course, the complete variance and experience depending on a postcode lottery, yeah. as we say. And that's the reality is that, that is part of the... At the back of that. that <laughs> yeah, that is the, that's one of the, the, the main findings, I suppose, from this today, Alva, isn't it? So that it's, it nearly yeah. depends what part of the country you're in. It does, and it depends on what you're presenting with. Um, I guess I found that report pretty validating to read. Did you? Because, yeah, many of those observations were ones I've made, ones I've discussed with other parents and with clinicians, both at CAMS and with our CDNT, because our children are autistic, so they're seen by, or at least they're on a list um, to be seen by their CDNT. And that was one of the points that came out. Um, I quote, there are poor relationships between primary care and specialist services like the CDNTs and it's not good enough. Children with mental health difficulties usually are complex, certainly autistic children who have a comorbidity of ADHD and on, and are other things like eating disorders like ARFID need these interdisciplinary teams to be able to work together and the report clearly states that's not the case. It says there are profound variations in staffing levels and that the lack of a digital infrastructure was leading to inefficiency on a large scale. We can all see that as so this all resonates with you and there's something wrong with the fact Alva isn't there that like you know you nearly take some I don't want to say comfort, but I suppose some comfort from reading this today, you know, that the findings are, they're not just your experience, but they're actually, they're the experiences of, of so many, so many others as well and, and other parents. And we've heard from that in, in other callers that we've spoke to here on the programme. Um, Elva, let me bring in Dr. Kieran Moore as well, um, because Kieran, you've previously worked in the CAM system. You've left it. I mean, in reading this report today, is that your experience? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are huge difficulties. Um, I do think it's just important, first of all, to say, like, um, um, I'm just listening to stories there, and there are stories that um, for children and parents right across the country, um, and it's it's what, why we do this work, but it, it's it's horrible to hear the difficulties people are having. Um, and I, difficulty sounds too small a word, but... Um, you know, and that's really what matters in the end. But I suppose it's also important to say as well that there are good people within camps Absolutely. who are yeah. really working mm-hmm. hard and doing their best. And, and th- that's not to be an apologist. Um, it's it's just the truth. Um, so it's important to say that and people do get good care, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it's not good enough. That's the problem. And I suppose well, it's, it's also important to say... Sorry, go on. No, it's, but it's, it seems to be 
dependent on what part of the country you're living in, almost to a certain extent. Well, I, I, there is very much an, a resource issue. Uh, I worked in a particular part of the country where um, where resources were very poor, but it, it is right across the country. But I suppose it's also just important to say that, that CAMS doesn't exist in a vacuum, that there are uh, primary care services like psychology and CDNT, which is just it, which is a disability service. And I suppose the concern I would have is that um, what happens is that each service gets a referral on the patient and then says, okay, based on what they see, it's not appropriate for this service, it should be somebody else. And the difficulty is that a patient isn't seen um, even before that determination is made. Um, and I suppose it's just quickly to give an analogy, everybody knows about asthma. If you have asthma and you're having difficulties breathing, there is a, a care pathway that's very clear. You go to your GP, the GP doesn't say, oh, I can't see based on a letter. I can't see you, I'll see you in five years' time. Or somebody else would be better see better to see you. No matter how busy the GP is, the GP will see you based on clinical need. And then if it's worse, they'll send you to a hospital consultant and if it's worse you're admitted if it's worse it's ICU which hope to God doesn't happen for most people but there's a clear pathway yeah, up and down okay. but if you have a different type of illness which is, a, which is a mental or psychiatric illness that is not what happens so depending on if you present with an acute um, illness uh, or, or acute risk you're, you not, are not necessarily guaranteed to be seen because an awful lot of services say, no, that's not appropriate for, mm. for us, that's not appropriate for us. And then it goes to, to CAMS and then they get overwhelmed well, as well. Well, one of the things that has really, I think, struck people today, Kieran, in listening to some of our callers and in particular there to, to Chloe and Anne, um, was, was, you know, children being prescribed um, certain types of medication and effectively no monitoring of that or no follow-up appointment for the guts of two years. Again, I can't comment on in, in you know particular cases. No, I but, know, but just um, you're absolutely correct. No, I mean a, any medication of any sort uh, that doctors prescribe, and we're medical doctors. It's our job to be able uh, to, to know what we're prescribing and to monitor them. Um, you know, and again, that's our job. But it's also important that the resources are there. And for example, in 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 one of the CAMS places I worked in, and in, it's pretty much common throughout the, the, the country. If you ask for a stethoscope, they won't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, if you ask for, uh, the system for taking blood, they say, oh, no, we don't do that. Send them back to your GP. So hapless GPs end up doing bloods, and sometimes there are problems with referrals over and back. You know, from my point of view, if you prescribe a medication, then you need to follow up on it, and you need to have the resources to be able to do that, so to examine a patient and to take bloods, because these bits are medical services. Just finally, Kieran, um, I know the Inspector of Mental Health Services says, you know, that this particular report um, that's been published, I know it's somewhat earlier than planned, but it kind of highlights the the need for pressing change. Is this is the CAM system working, in your opinion? Uh, I don't think it's fit for purpose. Um, and that's a very might sound like a very controversial thing to say, but I, I really don't think it is. I think there's good work being done, but people, are, it's just not working properly. And I think we need to go back to the drawing board in the sense that treat it like uh, I'm using asthma as an analogy, mm. that there is a clear pathway and the patients are yeah. seen based in clinical okay. need and that resources go in. And crucially, and I'll end on this, is that those who are managing the service actually have an expertise in what they're managing so that you if you're a manager and you don't know what child mental health or child psychiatry is you go and find out and that there are also consequences if you don't do your job and that there is 
uh, a management council okay. set up along the lines of every other professional so that there's a fitness to practice uh, that okay. if you don't do All your right. job. Yeah. No, look, Kieran. listen, I, I appreciate your time on the programme today and for, for sharing your experience with us um, and your thoughts on, on the publication, this interim report this afternoon. Uh, Dr. Kieran Moore, also Alva as well, uh, who's a parent. Thank you for getting in touch with us. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. Now, a little earlier here on uh, Lunchtime Live today, we were talking about this um, new report that's out into child and adolescent mental health services and it paints a fairly worrying um, picture of child mental health services in this country. We got a glimpse of what it's like to go through the service, the system and parts of the country firsthand from some of the people we spoke to, some of the parents like Anne and Chloe and Niall and Elva. And if you missed their stories, you can listen back to them on the News Talk app. You can subscribe there to Lunchtime Live. But Morris was listening to those stories. He got in touch with us. Um, Morris, tell us your experience. Uh, my experience is um, my young fella, he's 15 now, but he's been with CAM since he was six years of age. And before that, he was with the early intervention team. And um, the first few years were fine. And then in 2016, a doctor took over and started prescribing three types of medication for my son. Now, one was Equism, uh, one was Medicinet, and the other was uh, Respiridone, which is a psychotic drug to um, for schizophrenia, bipolar, and severe autism. And I questioned the medication with this doctor, because Medicinet and Concerta they do the exact same thing to treat ADHD. So I could never understand why he was put on two of the same medication for the same mm-hmm. disability. And he taught me his exact words were, who's the doctor here, you or me? And I turned around and I said to him, look, I said, I'm dealing with CAMS for 19 years because I had four boys with ADHD. So I know a little bit of what I'm talking about. You've experienced the service. Yeah, I've experienced the the service completely. But when he was put on that medication, he started suffering from severe depression. Then his appetite went enormous. And he gained a pile of weight. Then we had to go on suicide watch with him. I walked the halls basically at four o'clock in the morning to make sure he was safe. Okay. He tried to commit suicide twice while he was on the medication. And when I brought all these up to the doctor, he, all, all his answer was, we'll increase the medication. And out of curiosity, Morris, because one of the things that was highlighted in this report was, was there ever a review of the prescription? or the medication in this time period? No, there was never a review at all uh, by the leading um, consultant. It was just, uh, he signed off on on everything and put the files away. And And nobody contacted us. So So this, because this is one of the things I think that for a lot of people today... Morris, one of the things that a lot of people who maybe have no experience of this, of the CAM service, or maybe don't know a huge amount about it, 
are surprised about is the fact that you've got young people, teenagers, adolescents, young children on um, on medication and there's been this, I suppose, lack of monitoring of it in many cases where maybe, maybe some haven't had an appointment for the guts of two years. Yeah, and this you, is, see, you, you see, you have to understand is that before South West Kerry came into existence, right, you had the one consultant covering north, south, east and west of Kerry. Okay. Right? So, and every so often, you would get a different doctor. Like, you change them like you change your socks. They'd be there one week, they'd be gone the next. Then, you, then you'd have a new guy in, and he'd be gone the following week. Mm-hmm. So, remember, you'd be dealing with, I, like, I reckon I dealt with about 15 to 20 doctors yeah. over over the 19-year period. Yeah. And I know the Kerry, I know the Kerry um, situation has been uh, has been, been well highlighted. Uh, w- one of the things, I suppose, Morris, that we're likely to hear now, you know, today or later today or in the coming days is, well, the calls really for, you know, the minister in charge of, of um, mental health area, Mary Butler, to talk about this, to address it, to highlight it in the doll. I know the inspectorate for mental health issues has been out today as well, uh, talking about the need for change. Like, I presume there are calls that you echo. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But, uh, but, but we also echo a call for Stephen Donnelly to actually meet the families. Now, we're two years on in this. Okay. And we have requested him to meet the families. As yet, he has refused to meet the representatives of the families. And do you think that hel- it would be helpful, you feel? I, I, think, yeah. I okay. think it would be helpful because okay. he, he might get a better insight into what's happening here. Yeah, I think that's but, for a lot of people today. It's been, I suppose, the... Well, naturally, if I suppose if you have never experienced um, the CAM service or any services like this, you know, it's it's hard to get an understanding of what it's like or what people's experience is. So, Morris, I, I do appreciate you getting in touch with us and sharing your own story with us too here on the programme. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.